0: How's it going, church? Great. What a joy to be together. I am a big fan of this no man's land of the sun right here in the middle. <laughs> Everyone is gathered in the, in the shade. I think that's amazing. Guys, happy Independence Day. I hope hope you guys are stoked for this day. We get taxed with representation. It's, it's amazing. Hope you're going to throw some tea in the water today. Hope you're going to blow some stuff up, eat some barbecue. Seriously. Glad we're here. I don't know if you guys know this, but it's actually a little bit of a controversial thing for a pastor to figure out what to preach around Fourth of July. And I know for some of you, you're like, I don't understand why that would be a thing. But it is. You know, there, there, there are these genuine questions about how much should God and country mingle? What, what, what does that actually mean? What do we What do we do with that? And I'm happy to tell you guys this morning, I'm not the guy to answer that question for you. I have no idea. I know that I, I, I like our country as much as the next guy, and I'm stoked that it's 4th of July, and I'm ready to eat some barbecue with you guys, and I'm hoping to see some stuff blow up tonight, and I, uh, I think that's good to celebrate. I really do. I think it's a wonderful thing to have joy around the gift God's given you by placing you in the culture, the time, the place, the country, the nation, the people that he has. I was thinking this morning as I was praying over our time, I have a friend named Josh, and we used to do a podcast together, and he said something. We were talking about uh, how the gospel speaks into social justice issues, and he said something really beautiful that that has stuck with me. He said that regardless, regardless of what problems we may see in our country at any given point in time, the beautiful thing about the United States is that it is specifically designed, specifically designed so that when it falls short of the ideals upon which it was built, things like personal liberty, things like freedom of conscience, things like the pursuit of joy, fulfillment, and happiness, when it falls short of those things, it has systems in place to allow it to be drawn back to its ideals. What a thing to celebrate. We we, we are like, If we look throughout the world and throughout church history, there are tons and tons and tons of brothers and sisters in Christ who did not live in that kind of culture. Where when personal freedom of conscience and personal liberty and freedom of worship were violated, there was no mechanism in place for those things to be corrected. That's something that's worthy of celebration. And so I have zero problem belting out God bless the USA on my iPhone later on today over my Bluetooth speaker. And I hope you guys will enjoy the day also. But having said that, I am a pastor. And I am going to Jesus-juke you guys this morning. And I hope you're okay with that. If you're unfamiliar with that term, it means this. It's when you're talking about something normal and innocuous, and then someone goes and stretches it, whatever you're talking about, really hard to make it about Jesus. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about if you think about it for a minute. This is like when someone's like, man, I'm super excited for the Super Bowl this weekend. And someone goes, "Uh, you know who won the real big game? It was Jesus for your soul. You know what I'm talking about, right? You've experienced that. I'm a pastor. I get paid to do Jesus Jukes. And so we're doing that this morning. So if you don't mind, if you want to turn your Bible over to Philippians chapter 3. Because as much as I'm excited to eat barbecue and blow stuff up today and reflect on the beauty of freedom of conscience and liberty and those things. I also realize that there is a reality, there is a reality, that identifying yourself primarily with your people, with your nation, with your culture, with your time and your place is actually an empty well. It's an empty well that will leave you, will leave you wanting. So we're going to talk today for a few minutes about the beautiful truth that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I have been identified with a new people and a new place that before anything else in Christ, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and that means something amazing. So, please, please, please don't hear me being your party pooper today. But also I do think we would be remiss if we gathered together to worship today and didn't take a few minutes to reflect on our citizenship in the kingdom. Sound good? Awesome. So we're in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read starting in verse 17. It says this. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, now I tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, their glory and their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm, Thus, in the Lord, my beloved. And this is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we ask in these next few minutes, as we take a moment to reflect on what you say about us, what what the gospel says about who we are and where we belong, we ask God that you would be our disciple, that you would illuminate your text, that we would hear from you in the way our hearts need, That even today when we're, when we're sitting outside and we're getting ready for a barbecue and we're thinking about plans and family and schedules and driving and all those things, that for a few minutes, we will be slow enough and quiet enough that we would hear from you as our hearts actually need. God, we trust you for this work. We know that you delight. You delight to disciple your children. So we pray that you would do that this morning. We pray it boldly in your name, Jesus. Amen. Alrighty, so here's what I would like to do this morning. I want to talk about the fact that, above anything and everything else in Christ, your primary identifier is the kingdom of God to which you have been drawn in by the blood and work, the person of Jesus. And that that means something for how we engage the world around us. I want to talk about the fact that our primary identifier is as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and that that means we are invited to invite others into the same kingdom. Those two things. We're going to get there by doing this. I'm going to talk really briefly about the book of Philippians and how it fits into the larger picture of the scripture, but specifically the larger picture of church history. I'm going to zone in specifically on our text and point out a couple cultural things that I think is easy to breeze over in a text like this. And I think it's just going to land us really squarely on what Paul is getting at with the whole letter of Philippians. And then we'll end our time by reading Paul's Christ hymn, which is a little earlier in the book. And then we'll have some time of just prayer for the kingdom. Sound good? Rock and roll. He didn't actually respond, but I I knew. I could tell by the faces. You guys are good with it. So we're we're going on. So here's the thing with Philippians. This is one of Paul's letters that he wrote to the church in Philippi while he was in prison. And if you don't know this piece, so Paul helped plant the Philippian church on his second missionary journey. It's the first known Christian church on the continent of Europe, right? And, And at some point later in his life, in one of his many imprisonments, this church at Philippi, which uh, out of all the churches Paul planted, actually did really well. It was flourishing. It heard of his imprisonment, and they sent funds to care for him. And this has to do with how Roman prisons worked in that day. If you were locked up in Roman prison, they had no actual legal obligation to do things like feed you. So if you didn't have friends and family to take care of you, you could just easily starve to death. In jail, So this church at Philippi hears about Paul's imprisonment, and they send this man, Epaphroditus, with a bunch of gifts to help take care of Paul. He goes, he brings the gifts from the church, cares for him, gets sick, almost dies. Paul nurses him back to health, and then he sends him back to the church with this letter, the letter of Philippians, as a letter of thanks to this church for caring for him. Now that's what, what makes Philippians unique amongst all of Paul's writings is that he doesn't really have much beef with Philippi. Usually when you read Paul's letters, he's writing to that church because he's going to let them know the thing they're doing wrong they need to stop doing. You know what I'm saying? It's usually that kind Like, for the most part, if you were a church and you got a letter from Paul, it wasn't a good Sunday. It was like, oh, this is about to be a really bad day. But Philippi gets this letter from Paul that's so encouraging and so joyful to, to the point that some some scholars were like, Paul, surely Paul didn't actually write this. It's so nice. But but obviously we, we trust that that's true, right? So we have this letter that's built around this idea of encouragement. Now, now, now don't get me wrong. The church of Philippi had their problems and Paul challenges them to repentance in a couple areas. But the overall tone of this letter is significantly more encouraging and joyful than pretty much any other thing Paul wrote. And it all centers around this short little text at the beginning of Philippians 2. Paul quotes this Christ hymn where he talks about how Good Jesus is. We're going to read it at the end of our time. He talks about how powerful Jesus is. He talks about how how much authority Jesus has to carry out His kingdom work, the work of the gospel on this planet. And the entire letter radiates out forward and back from that declaration at the beginning of Philippians two that Christ Him. So we're going to start here in this section where he's encouraging this church to model after him and talking about lostness, and then we're going to work our way back to that Christ hymn. So a couple of things you have to know about the city of Philippi to really understand what Paul is getting at here. The big thing is this: so Philippi was a Roman colony which is a unique kind of thing underneath the Roman Empire. But the thing we need to know for this morning, the thing that kind of clarifies it for us, is that this colony was set up specifically, essentially as a retirement plan for successful Roman soldiers. If you joined the Roman military and you served well and served faithfully, you essentially had a guaranteed place to live in Philippi. And so this city was built originally almost exclusively around veterans of the Roman military. And by the time Paul gets on the scene and the church is planted in Philippi, this city is multiple generations into existing. It's bustling, it's wealthy, it's well-known, and it's well-known throughout the empire as being essentially the most patriotic city outside of Rome itself. The people who lived in Philippi loved Rome. They loved the emperor. They loved Roman conquest and everything that their people, their nation, their culture represented. And in that context, Paul comes and brings the gospel. And, and the Holy Spirit moves. And a church is planted. You can read about it in Paul's second missionary journey in Acts. a really insane story. And this church thrives in Philippi. But what's interesting about that thriving church is that Philippi uniquely hated the church. The Philippian church was deeply persecuted. And it was persecuted specifically because of how patriotic the city was. I know that's a wild thing to say, right? But thing you have to remember is that the christian gospel the way it was presented by the early apostles specifically co-opted roman language the the term we use gospel was an established term used to talk about messages from the emperor to the people the emperor has good news for you the gospel of caesar caesar is lord he's the one you bow down to These are the the language of the empire, and the Christian church co-opted this and actually said, no, the good news doesn't come from Caesar. The good news comes from a rabbi in Palestine who died for you and forgave your sins. And Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is. And so the problem the Philippian church faced as it grew into a church was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't just grading on Philippian sensibilities. It was antithetical. To Philippian sensibilities. It pushed against the very core of their identity as a people. And so, this church got really beat up really fast. And yet, they flourished. They flourished. They grew. They were healthy. They were outward focused. They were sending their leaders out to serve a man stuck in prison, right? This church is doing well. So when Paul writes to them, he writes to them these encouragements. He talks about, hey, look, I know I'm in prison. I know things are going poorly. But remember, the kingdom of God is still victorious. God's word is still going forward. People are still meeting Christ and being saved. Don't be discouraged. Stick with it. Keep living out your faith, even though people are persecuting you, even though people are wronging you, even though bad things are happening. Stick with it, church. Don't give up on what God is doing, and then you get to our time. And he says, and be like me. Model after me. Do what I do. And here's why he says do what I do. Catch this. Because there are people who are dying without Christ. You see this? Because I told you about this before, but I'm telling you now, I'm telling you with tears in my eyes, that you are surrounded by people who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. For God is their belly, the glory and their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. Paul is so broken hearted for lostness. For people apart from Christ. That he looks at this church and says. Don't give up. Don't stop the work. Don't step away. Don't be discouraged. Be like me. Stick with it. Because there are people who desperately need Jesus. Now this phrase. Be like me. We hear that and there's just kind of this gut reaction. Of like dang Paul. You are pretty confident in how godly you are. I guess right. But think about what he's actually saying paul is saying be like me where is paul as he's writing this letter he's in a roman prison he's in a roman prison facing the very po- real possibility of death for proclaiming the gospel the gospel that is antithetical to the roman identity and think about this for a moment paul isn't just in prison one of the things we know about Paul is that the dude was a Roman, full Roman citizen by birth, and that he was a trained and recognized rabbi. This was a guy who had social credibility, who could have lived in wealth and comfort, who could have been respected and known and taken positions that were, that were well to do in his world. It would have been very easy for Paul to live into the norms and expectations of his day and be very successful and comfortable and fat and happy. But he's in prison, rotting, facing his death. He literally says early in the letter, I don't know if I'm gonna die or not. This is wild. And then he says to the church, but don't worry, I mean, it's all good. Either way, it's all good. If I get out of prison, sweet. If I die, I get to be with Jesus, it's all good. This is the mindset that Paul's bringing when he says, be like me, Philippian church. Church who is born as Roman citizens." See, we miss some of the weight of that. But you don't automatically, if you were born in Rome in this day, just get to be a citizen and get the rights that go with that, right? Like, it's not the same kind of country as what we're used to with, I don't know, emphasis on human value. Only certain cities and communities could give out citizenship. And the cities that could were very proud of that because it brought with it wealth and rights and comforts and economic opportunity. Guys, Philippi was one such city. Pretty much every citizen living in the city was a full Roman citizen, just like Paul. He says, be like me. Be like me. Look at this grace our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself see here's the thing guys and this is what i what i love about this it's pretty much guaranteed that most of the philippian church were roman citizens And most of them probably really loved Rome. If they lived in Philippi, that was the culture, that was the norm. And by the way, you know, Rome is usually presented as the bad guy when we read about him. But if you lived in a place like Philippi and you got to reap the benefits of Rome, it was very easy to love that culture. Very easy to be proud of it, to identify with it first and foremost. And you notice Paul never even pushes it back. He never tells this church not to love Rome, not to like living in Philippi. All he does is he says, remember something. Remember that your citizenship, your identity, your person is first and foremost in the person and work of Jesus before everything else. Honestly, Paul doesn't really care about Rome. In fact, the only time we have recorded where Paul talks about Earthly authorities and governmental authorities. He speaks pretty positively about them. He could care less if this church loved being Philippians and loved Rome. What he cared about was they loved Jesus more. But their primary identity was around who they were in Christ and what he had accomplished on their behalf. So he says, church, do be like me. Put your citizenship in heaven. Above any other identity Care about the lostness around you You are surrounded by people Who are trying to find their identity and their worth In all sorts of empty wells That will not satisfy And that will leave them If God doesn't intervene Straight in the face of the wrath of God for eternity Don't ignore that Paul says this through tears Some people live their life as the enemy of God so be like me. Remember that your citizenship is in heaven. That we're awaiting a Savior who has the power to actually fulfill, to actually forgive sins. That, that this Jesus rose from the dead. That he's doing a new thing. That in Christ, you are not identified by your sin or your failure. In Christ, you are not identified by any earthly identifier. You are identified by Him. His work on your behalf, the freedom that He gives. Beloved, this is the call of the gospel. Come to Christ. Come to Him. Come be a son come be adopted into the family. Come be given your citizenship in the true kingdom, the only kingdom that lasts, the kingdom whose king is still alive and who will return and who will restore all things and will take away all suffering and all evil and all pain for all eternity. The real kingdom, the kingdom of King Jesus, into which you have been adopted. How could we? How could that not Charge our person. Change our person. There's a yellow jacket here somewhere. Is he in my beard? (laughs) Nope, he's free. We're good. (laughs) That's called spiritual warfare, church. (laughs) How could the truth of the kingdom not grab our heart? Not fundamentally change our posture toward the world around us? So, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring us back and I'm going to read Paul's Christ hymn because here's all I want for us this morning. I need to be done talking so that we can sing and we can eat good food and we can hang out and enjoy our day, right? Because it's 4th of July. It's Independence Day. It's a great day. It's a day to celebrate and I'm not trying to step on that. All I want us to do this morning is be drawn back to the deeper truth. The deeper truth that in Christ, our identity is in Christ. Amen? That the work of Christ, the person of Jesus, that these things are bigger and better than everything else that tries to satisfy us. Amen? Amen? That our identity in the kingdom of God is actually our primary identity. Amen? So let me read this as a reminder. And then I'll leave Paul says this to the Philippian church. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, hear this church, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that is every knee church and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Amen? amen? This is our King, this is our Lord, our Savior, who we await. And this is what we invite people to. Beloved, we are surrounded by people who are living their lives as enemies of God. People who have, if God, if something doesn't change, their life will culminate in standing before the judgment seat of the Lord with nothing covering their sin. And the scripture tells us it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a wrathful God. We are surrounded by people who, who, that is their future, eternity apart from Christ, facing the full weight of their sin. And yet, here stands Jesus, who died the perfect death, who rose from the dead by the power of the Spirit, who ascended to the right hand of God, who will return one day Restore all things, and his invitation is open to each and every one of us. Come and be freed. Come and find life. Come and find an identity that is deeper and stronger and more fulfilling than anything this world has to offer. So I hope I have successfully Jesus' future. I hope that as we go about our day, we can take a moment in prayer and reflection and remember we are a part of something amazing. We are a part of the kingdom of God. That that kingdom is open to all. That we get to join with God in his mission of seeking and saving the lost. We get to proclaim that invitation all around us to a world in desperate need of it. What a privilege. Amen? So here's what I'd like to do. I want to end our time today. With just a couple minutes of prayer and reflection. So here's how we're actually gonna do this. This is actually a really cool thing. I'm gonna actually I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this let me grab this and turn it off.